When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, everybody. This is Barca Talk. I'm Brian Henderson. And with me, as always, is the party animal himself, Gabriel Quiroga. Brian, my Barca brother from a different mother and fellow Kool-Aids, welcome to episode 57. Yes, I'm running in slow motion right now, Brian. Uh, too many Christmas parties here in Madrid, and like we were WhatsApping earlier, they go pretty late as well. So and they started they early. They start early too, and they went really late. So I'm I'm definitely in slow motion right now. I don't know. You sound you sound basically okay though. Like I I'm I can hang with it, and I think we're gonna have a great episode. I have a lot of hopes and dreams for this episode, and I hope we realize all of them. So first things first. What are you doing for Christmas? So for Christmas, I'm actually going to my friend's Pueblo here in the southwest of Spain. Uh, basically, I'm the American cousin for my friend's family. So I've been going there the past two years, and I'm going there from like five days or so, four days. And then I'll be here in Madrid the rest of the time. So something like that, which is really nice to go with another person's family. So they can, they're kind of like my fake family, my fake Spanish family. And so it's, yeah, it's really nice to be around them. We have really good food. Um, we go out for tapas and it's just a really good time. And plus it's only three hours by car. So I know that you are headed to the Bay area. So when do you head back? On Tuesday, on the 19th, we're flying to the Bay area. We're going to be there until the 23rd. So the 23rd is going to be an interesting day for me. I'm going to be up at 4 a.m. for the Classico, and then that evening we have a um, big, very big family uh, Christmas party with Megan's family. She's part of a huge Irish family. Her dad is like one of nine children. So it's a, a lot of cousins and aunts and uncles. It's a very big party, and they have it every year, not on Christmas Day, so that everyone can make it, and then you know the individual families can do their own thing. And then that night, we're going to get on an overnight bus to Southern California to go see my family. So we're going to have Christmas Eve at my dad's house, Christmas Day with my mom and uh, that side of the family. Because I have two families. I have since I'm a you know adult child of divorce, I have two families, my dad and my mom, and never the two shall meet. <laughs> <laughs> so I have to do all that. And then we're also going to Las Vegas to visit my nephew who lives there. So it's going to be a lot of traveling, a lot of family, and um, probably a lot of food, which I'll be looking forward to. And if I can squeeze in a little bit of time with my friends from SoCal especially, uh, we're going to do that. We're also we're doing a thing in the Bay Area, having a party to kind of like bring all of our friends out. But, you know, mostly it'll be with Megan's family. And, yeah, it's going to be busy. 
busy. Yeah, busy. it sounds busy, but I mean, it's going to go by so quick. You know, when you look at the calendar right now, you'd be like, oh my gosh, I have to go here. I have to go there. And then once you're in the moment, it's just going to go super quick. So uh, you get to go to Vegas, Southern California, the Bay Area, just heading into the like, Bermuda Triangle there on the West Coast. That's the tour. Yep. <laughs> now, personally, I'm actually pretty jealous because it sounds like your Christmas plans are much simpler quieter just going to a nice pueblo in the southwest of spain what's the name of the town the town is called placencia it's in extremadura and they're really that's where the ham the famous ham here the iberico ham that's where it's known from that province so for sure we're going to be having lots of lots of amazing ham as always ham and cheese which is always the greatest yeah <laughs> just ham and cheese keeping it Correct. simple but like Spanish ham Yeah, of course, cheese. of course. You know, we have the manchego cheese and the jamón ibérico, which is like really, really good. And it's the thinly sliced one, you know. So every place that we go to for dinner always has like the plate of that ham, like as an appetizer. And it's just, it's amazing. So good. Yeah, that that's not Oscar Mayer and uh, Kraft Singles. Correct. That is, <laughs> it is not that. Yeah. So yeah, I love it. It's It's really good. So. Cool. Well, let's start to get into the show. Um, before we really get into the meat of things, I have to give a mea culpa to our listeners. Last week, we had some audio issues with the episode, and uh, most of them stemmed from bad MP3 conversion, uh, and I just didn't check it. But there were also a couple of moments where Gabriel's audio was turned down all the way, so all you could hear was me breathing. So I wake up Monday morning to a couple messages from you, Gabriel, about this issue, and uh, the first words out of my mouth were, Fuck. <laughs> but I got on top of it. Uh, it still took some time to troubleshoot it. And then, of course, I was extra neurotic about it, making sure I got everything fixed in the editing and the MP3 converting. So not the best way to wake up on a Monday morning, but we got it sorted out. And a big thanks to our listeners who also were letting us know that something was up. We got a number of messages from three or four listeners uh, letting us know that there was a problem. So we really appreciate that. Now, also, just a little programming note. Uh, we usually release the show on Sunday night, Monday morning, but next Monday is Christmas. Um, I'm going to be busy with family obligations and merriment, as I have mentioned. And, of course, Gabriel's going to be in the Pueblo. So uh, we're going to push the release of the next episode to later in the week. Uh, we're still working out the scheduling on that. We will keep you posted. So be aware uh, that we're not going to be coming out on Monday as usual after the Classico because it's Christmas and there's other stuff going down. Now, on today's show, we're going to talk about the Champions League draw with Chelsea, and we also have another player recommendation from a listener. We're going to get into that. Our big feature for the week is the countdown to El Clasico next week, and we're, of course we're going to check in with Barca B and Femini. We're going to review the Deportivo match, and of course then we're going to finish off today by previewing next week's Clasico. So, first up, Barca drew Chelsea in the Champions League round of 16, and the first leg will be in February 20th at Stamford Bridge, and then the return leg at the Camp Nou will be on March 14th. How do we feel about this draw? Well, like we talked about last week, right, we wanted, you know, we weren't scared of this draw, but of course I knew as soon as, you know, they were doing the, the teams and so forth that I, I had a really strong feeling it was going to be Chelsea. And of course, you know, you highlighted here in our doc that we have had such a history. I mean, I would call it a rivalry. I mean, I know it's not, they don't play all that often, but I think that the last, you know, since 2000, we've had such good matches against them. I also think that uh, because Chelsea's based in London, it's kind of like, you know, everyone thinks the EPL is the best league. And so Chelsea's kind of one of those marquee teams. And so I think it's going to be an interesting matchup, even though Chelsea is not playing that well right now. But 
they always play tough against us. Always play tough against us. So I'm looking forward. Actually, I think I might go to try to go to the to the match in the camp now. We'll we'll see what I can do. That would be fantastic. I mean, how much would those tickets cost? You think? Well, I don't know. I'm I'm trying to get my cousin uh, Alejandro there to hopefully swing some tickets. If not. I may just go to Barcelona just to go be in the city, you know, while the while the game's going on, just to kind of get that feeling. Um, so we'll see. I'm definitely looking forward to this matchup because I think, you know, I always this is why we love Champions League. We get to play against the top of the top, and you know, there's some other great matchups as well. And that's you know, like the Juventus matchup. That's I'm looking forward to that one. The Juventus, uh, who are they playing? Tottenham. Tottenham. So that that should be pretty good. Um, yeah. And then obviously Real Madrid against PSG. That's that is really really awesome because, you know, uh, PSG and Real are both favorites. You know, just like Barcelona, and they're going to knock each other out. So we'll see what happens in that matchup. Hopefully Neymar can put away Real uh, for good here. Well, yeah. I mean, I have a complicated state of mind about that one. Because on one hand, I don't like to see Real Madrid win. I like to see them lose. And I don't have anything particularly against PSG aside from getting Neymar. But on the other hand, I do dream about, for instance, a Clasico Champions League final. So like, so, like rooting for that possibility remains open to me. I see. Okay. Well, I you know when you were speaking about that too, I also like having the maximum Spanish teams go through just because it kind of just shows the overall um performance of the league, you know, compared to the other teams. But at the same time, uh I I'm more scared of Real Madrid in the Champions League than PSG right now. And that's just be sure. based based on history. But that would be pretty cool, classical final. I don't know, that'd be so stressful, man. That'd be so stressful. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if we could even handle it. Oh, my God, one game? I mean, that would be, because that's like, you know, that's an all-time debater, you know what I'm saying? Like, if whatever team wins that final in the Champions League, that's just like, go down in history as the game, you know what I'm saying? Because it's one game for the Champions League trophy? Oh, my gosh. That would yeah. Be- <laughs> I mean, you have to imagine that it's going to happen eventually. Like one day it's that will happen. It may be this year, maybe next year, some other, some other year, who knows, but that's going to happen one day just statistically. If the Champions League continues year after year, you know that Barca and Real Madrid are going to always be contenders for it. Eventually it's going to happen. And especially when you get to these uh top 4, right? You know, it's just a basic draw and you know Barcelona Madrid on the other side of the draw and they just meet each other in the finals. I mean, yeah, statistically it can't happen, but man, I don't know if I can handle that. That's super stressful because, you know, that's bragging rights for a lifetime, you know, potentially. Yeah, it could be. Yeah. And then, but anyway, the other, uh, the other matchups are like pretty good. Like Porto Liverpool, I think would be pretty good. Uh, Man City Basel, honestly just has to go to city it's like i was just uh chatting the other day with one of our listeners luke on instagram about how like scary good manchester city is looking right now um i would say that they're serious favorites for the the whole tournament do you think do you think they're really that scary good i i think it's a combination of yeah they are good and they're finally getting their tactics and their you know their formation on point, but also I just don't think they get really, I don't know, they don't really get challenged in the EPL as much, you know, like the teams, like I just saw yesterday, they destroyed Tottenham four to one, you know, and like Tottenham didn't really do anything. And I know it's a combination of Pep's tactics, you know, because of holding the ball and so forth, but I just don't think, you know, they're really challenged in the EPL because in the EPL, that style, they're not used to seeing a team that can possess the ball that well. 
I mean, that's just what it is. And so I think, yeah, I think Man City, especially having the Basel draws, that definitely helps because it's low stress, you know. So they should they should advance. But I, this is the my favorite part of the Champions League because all the matchups I'm very interested in, and they're staggered too. So they're not all like six matches on one night. So they're staggered through the month, and so that really gives an importance on each each match. Yeah, that's a nice feature. So we're looking forward to the uh, the Barcelona Chelsea matchup, and of course, as those matches as that tie gets closer, uh, we're going to look back at some of the uh, previous meetings of them in the Champions League. We'll maybe even do features on some past matches like we have been doing with El Clasico these last weeks. Um, but we'll we'll put that off until February as the as the tie gets a little bit closer. I will say that for me personally, I have a cousin named Robert who is a Chelsea fan, so I am looking forward to this matchup so that the shit talking may commence. I mean, I think that's going to be a big feature of Christmas, actually. You're going down, Robert. What's his name, Robert? (laughs) (laughs) You and your boys are going down. Yeah, correct. But now here's another small piece of news. Um, Or, I don't know, depending upon your perspective. Uh, Deuces strained some knee ligaments in training on Friday. And it looks like he's going to be out for seven to ten days. And what I have to say about this is that, you know, he's uh, Deuces has been a decent squad player this year. Uh, and, of course, we've had our complaints about his game. But as a rotation player, he's been adequate. And don't get me wrong, I hope he improves and rises to an even higher level in terms of his game. But as far as this injury goes, you know, he'll miss the Classico. But it's doubtful that he would have played in it anyway with the way that Val Green's lineup choices have been going. And then he'll probably be back in time for the uh, second half of La Liga to start. I mean, yeah, he got injured in, in practice. But i also been hearing and reading some rumors that he might be going to AC Milan in this transfer. So what do you think about that? What do you think if he leaves this December transfer to AC Milan? Would you be heartbroken or would you like the move? I would not be heartbroken. I would not be heartbroken. But um, we would definitely need to, I think, at least bring someone else in who could contribute to the, uh, at least to the rotation, you know, a forward player, maybe a a proper right winger, that kind of thing. But um, no, I don't think I'd be totally heartbroken. And I did mention in the past that it's possible that maybe he's just a better Serie A player. Maybe he's just not quite right for um, Barcelona's needs right now. Yeah, I can see that. I also think maybe he needs to be taken down a couple notches like in that and what I mean by that is like I don't mean like you know literally I'm just saying like I just think maybe he needs to go to you know AC Milan but go there for like two years because you know in the last four years he's been at one club for one year and then he went to another club like he hasn't had consistency and also I think he just needs to find more starting minutes you know Um, I would be a little sad just because of the depth part but I think in the you know in the long run I think it would be more beneficial for you know deuces to go to another team be the starter you know get those minutes get better at his craft and then come back to Barca like after two or three years I think that would benefit I mean I know you know you know we're saying it from our point of view because you know we're just like in charge of his career you know (laughs) but you know like we're like oh just go to AC Milan Eh, eh," you know we've got it all planned out exactly we're his financial planners right and his agent you know it's like um, <laughs> I mean, I just, I just don't think he's going to get enough playing time this year. And, you know, especially with Paco getting more minutes and scoring at a higher ratio, I think Val Green is being, becoming more comfortable with Paco. And with Dembele coming from injury, I think that just pushes deuces down, down the trough a little bit there. So, you know, I wouldn't be heartbroken. And I think it would benefit him greatly to go back to AC Milan or just like, 
another mid-tier team where he's a guaranteed starter, you know, just to know that he's going to get those minutes and always be on the field. Yeah, within the Barcelona system, you know, there isn't really a squad that's in between Barca B and the first team. So what can you do when you have a player who really would benefit from that? Right. You got to loan him out or sell him or whatever to another club who's a little lower tier, but where they can get all the time that they need on the field to really develop. Exactly. And and so, you know, I'm if I were in charge of the board or, you know, in charge of the transfers, I would look, I would listen, I would take those offers. And if it's a good offer, you know, I would just tell deuces, look, you just need to develop even more. And we're going to keep you there for two years, let's say, because he just, I think he always knows that he's going to come back to Barcelona. So I think he kind of like, not, I don't want to say gives it his all, but at the same time, like he just kind of knows that he's always going to come back. You know what I'm saying? So I think he just really needs to commit to another team and just get more minutes, be the starter and work on his craft. I mean, how old is he? Do we remember? I mean, he's still got, he's 23. Oh my God. I would kill to be 23. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As I recall, 23 was a pretty good year. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I could bounce back from Christmas parties. Like no problem. You know? Um, yeah. You could do another one today yeah, but if you were 23. Exactly. I would have been already, you know, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but you know, he's 23, like two years, he comes back at 25 with a lot of minutes, a lot of experience, you know, obviously you would like to have him be on a team with some champions league, um, ability, you know, that type of, so he just gets more experience, more time. Cause you know, I, he hasn't had that in Everton and Everton, he was kind of off and on, on the bench. AC Milan, he had a better, um, career, but he was also off and on. So he just, I wanted to be like on a team where he's always going to start. Like he's not signed, you know, he's always going to play. So we'll see what happens. I'm curious to see what uh, we do in the winter because, you know, with Turan and uh, Mascherano, with Deuces, like all, we have a lot of gray players, you know, players in the gray that could go either way. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, and with Dembele coming back and potential other, you know, bringing in new players, we could see what happens. So, yeah, we'll see what uh, Deuce's fate is for the remainder of the season. Now, speaking of right wingers, uh, here's something from one of our listeners. This is the one message we got this week from Ozmi on Facebook. Now, Ozmi says, what's up, guys? I was a little disappointed about the fact that y'all didn't know who Gundogan was. Your information outside of Barca is very poor. LOL, I'm sorry. Now the question is, since Val Green likes the 4-4-2 formation and the lack of attacking wingers, what do you think about Riyad Mahrez? Don't tell me you don't know him. I would be very disappointed. He's trying to leave his club. I think we need him. So I'm going to start off with my response. What's my response there? F you, bro. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Ask me, I'm just kidding. Um, I, you know... Osme, I mean, there's so many players. Like, Gundogan, Gundogan is like a second-string player on Man City, you know? Like, I have a hard enough time following La Liga and Champions League and the major teams, let alone the second-string Man City midfielder, you know? So sorry, Osme, to disappoint. <laughs> but you'll be, very, you'll be very happy. I do know about Mares. He's a very good player. Uh, I think he would be beneficial. But at the same time, I don't know... If he is the type of player that we would need, he's more, you know, he looks great on Leicester, but I think he's more suited for EPL teams than La Liga teams. Do you, have you heard of Mara? Yeah, yeah, Brian? I've uh, I've been, well, okay, to be fair, I'll admit that my knowledge outside of Barcelona and La Liga is pretty spare. I don't really follow the Premier League, but uh, even if I did, kind of like you were saying, I would have to follow it really closely to know much about like Gundogan, a guy who's been injured and who's barely played. Although he did just score on Saturday against Tottenham. 
So that's cool. But uh, yeah, as far as Mares goes, uh, I did not know about him prior to Osmi's message, but I looked into him and uh, yeah, right winger for Leicester, which is fine. Uh, sometimes playing as an attacking midfielder. Of course, as a prospect for Barcelona, he would almost certainly have to be out on right wing, at least in the current Barcelona. And um, yeah, I watched a little bit of video and he, d- he does look good. But my question is kind of like you were saying, like what, what makes him more suited to EPL than La Liga and Barcelona? He's just like a more direct player. Like, yeah, he's got some flair. He's good. And he stands out because he's definitely like one of the best players on Leicester, right? So that's why you you, you you gravitate towards him. But I just think he needs to be on a better EPL team. You know, maybe like, I don't know, like Chelsea or Tottenham or something like this that has more exposure. And I think he would develop better. But I just, I don't see him fitting into our style. You know, it's really tough. And, you know, when we ask players, when we talk about players that we're interested in, they really have to be really good with their first touches passing and the possession that's always like the key and then everything after that is great you know if they have a little bit of flair if they can do this but it's really important to be able to possess the ball and you know I know he has a high IQ I I like him as a player I really do but I just don't see him fitting or I just I I don't even think he's on their radar really to be looking because I think also he's going to cost a lot of money from Leicester as well well, apparently the talk of Barcelona signing Coutinho has heated up again, and as a result, there's talk of Liverpool looking to bring in Mares to replace Coutinho should that happen. So, again, even though we were starting off this, this topic talking about Mares moving to the Camp Nou, we wind up talking about Coutinho moving to the Camp Nou again. So, again, like, do we need him? Like, Osmi says we need him, Mares specifically, but I'm saying, like, maybe in terms of right wing or attacking midfield, do we need just some player with certain talents and abilities that Mares happens to have at least in some degree? Okay. So like, you know, where, where would he fit in? You know, that's the problem. Like, especially when you're going to pay such a high fee for this guy, like how is he going to find playing time? You know, does he, does he take over for Rakitic sometimes on the midfield? Does he just to get him on the field, you know, because Ideally, you're going to have Suarez, Messi, and Dembele at the top. Is he going to replace Dembele, the guy we just paid $100 million to? No. Like, so, again, it's just all about economics. Again, the Coutinho talk is going to ramp up again, especially after the break, because there's going to be nothing. The only thing that's going on is the EPL, but, you know, the Coutinho talk is going to get super heated again. And it's going to be annoying because there's just people on Twitter just rumoring, retweeting, and just being like, ah, Coutinho is so close. He's at the airport. You know, he's right there. He's coming to Barcelona. And it's, I don't think he's going to get signed this, this winter. I, I just don't think he is. I think we have such a history of signing players, uh, the big players in the summertime, that I think it's just going to wait. I think we may dump some players and may pick a player here too, but nothing too big like Coutinho. I don't think that's going to happen. That's just my my opinion. Yeah, I'd be inclined to agree with you just based on history. Um, and as far as Mares, no, I, I don't think that we need him critically. Um, certainly not right now. And especially with Dembele coming back. I don't, yeah, exactly like you were saying, I don't see how he would really fit into the squad at this moment. And again, not that he's not a good player, he is. But yeah, I don't think, I don't think we need him and I don't think we're going to get him. I don't think he's really on the radar. But thank you for that, Osmi. That was a good point to bring up. And now, we are in the final push before the next edition of El Clasico. And we're going to take a closer look at next week's match in the final segment today. But now, we look back to another one of our favorite Clasicos from the past. And this is a feature we've been doing for the last few weeks in the run-up to next week's 
to next week's match, revisiting some of the best past Classicos for Barca fans. Last week, episode 56, we reminisced on the 6-2 defeat by Pep Guardiola's 2008-9 Barcelona at the Bernabeu. Before that, episode 55, it was the 2-0 Champions League semifinal from 2011. And we started this in episode 54 with the biggest Barcelona win in recent times, La Manita, the 5-0 win from 2010. So this week, from the vault, we're uh, pulling pulling out Messi's first hat trick. It's been just over 10 years since this match, and I can't think of a better one to finish off this series of Classico revisits. Yeah, this is one of my favorites as well, and mainly just because this is where Messi kind of, you know, before he had been playing, but he wasn't, you know, he's he's still young. He was 19 years old, you know. But this moment, this Classico marked his arrival as I'm messy. I'm the I'm the best ever. Here I come. Kind of a moment, you know. And he basically took Barca on the back on his back and just carried him to the tie. Now, you know, we have a lot of notes that we're going to talk. I I personally don't remember watching this match. I just remember watching it and revisiting on YouTube and so forth after you know a couple of years because I remember at that time you know like we said that the TV coverage wasn't the best. So I don't remember watching this live. I watched it again this week and it's it's fascinating to see how. You know, these classicos are always so contentious. It doesn't even matter, like, the managers and stuff. There's always just, you know, you know, it's it's tough, right? It's always a tough match. So I really enjoyed watching this. And it made me realize how much um, that I – Frank Reichard was not really that great of a manager. <laughs> <laughs> that's, what I, that's kind of what it brings up. I think he was a great uh, personality manager, you know? Like, he managed the personalities well. But tactically, he was not – not the greatest, and that was kind of one of his downfalls. But it was it was really interesting rewatching this match, and of course, reading up on the history of this match as well. But you know, we're going to talk about everything there is. So I'm going to let you set the yeah, scene. Yeah, let Brian. me set, set the set scene. Set us the scene for it. Set us yeah, the scene. Uh, uh, picture it. Spain, Barcelona. Well, Catalonia. Two thousand seven. This was the second leg of the uh, Clasico in La Liga. They lost uh, the first round at the Bernabeu. 2-0. Now they were back on home ground. It was match day 26 and Barcelona were at 49 points and Real Madrid were 5 points behind and sitting in 4th place behind Sevilla, Valencia and Barcelona. Neither of them were in the top spot going into this game. But that doesn't necessarily matter with a Clasico, right? Like no matter what the circumstances, it's always a high stakes match. The two finished up the season at the top of the table and tied on points but Real Madrid did better in the head-to-head with Barca. So Real did take the trophy in the end. Now, look at the managers and you compare the managers. Madrid had Fabio Capello at the helm, and it was just for one year. It was his second spell at Madrid, and he was not popular with the fans because he ran very defensive tactics. Uh, He had even said that the era of beautiful football was over. You know, he was all about results. Yeah, I mean, when he came, you know, even when I think of Fabio Capello, it's not a very attractive football coach, but... I mean, again, we always talk about it. It's it's a results-oriented business. I would rather have the results than have it such a free-flowing football. Like, obviously, I would like to have both, you know, free-flowing results. Like, that's how we usually have for Barca. But especially with Fabio coming and saying that openly, I, I don't know if I would have done that. I would As a PR move, I wouldn't have said the beautiful football is over because that's automatically, you know, that's like having the, the shovel and you're starting to, you know, dig your own grave, essentially, because... Madrilistas don't want to hear that, and nor do we as Kool-Aids. We don't want to hear someone to come in and say, yep, beautiful football is over. All I care about is results. You can think it, 
But, you know, he did win the late Liga that year, so the results did come through. So True. Uh, but when I think of him, I think of boring football. True. Yeah. Now, on the other hand, we do have Frank Reichardt on the other side for Barcelona. He was in his fourth year managing the team at this point, and it was also Joan Laporta's fourth year as president. And this was a period of of rebirth for Barcelona. You know, they had gone four years without any trophies. Laporta came in as president in 2003, and he revitalized the style, the management, and La Masia. And Reichardt had won two league trophies and a Champions League title in 2006. Yeah, so this was an important... This is, you know, I always associate this with also with the Ronaldinho era because that was, you know, the, the important you know, milestone in that era. The signing of Ronaldinho led to Frank Reichardt, Laporta era with some more trophies and obviously the Champions League title in 2006 against Arsenal. So, you know, he got decent results, but uh, in, in your mind, he's, he wasn't that great a manager. Well, I mean, you know, the thing is, is like in these big matches, tactically, he didn't do anything. He really relied on his talent, you know, and especially in that Champions League title in 2006, he did make some key substitutions like bringing um, Henrik Larsson in. But again, he didn't do anything to masterclass the other uh, managers, you know, it was not, and especially in these big matches, like we always talk about, the talent equals itself out. It's about making those minor tactics that win you the match. And to me, I think he was a better player um, manager, especially keeping Ronaldinho in, you know, in line for the most part you know, until the very end when he was, you know, a mess a little bit. But for the most part, he kept him in line and they performed for him. And he did rely on their talent a lot, especially during the season. But I just, when I think of Frank Raycard, I think, yeah, he was a success, successful manager, great player manager, but I just don't think of him as like tactically like a genius or anything like this. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. I could see that. But let's talk about Messi at this time, right? Now, like you've mentioned, the real star player at this time was Ronaldinho. But Messi had already started to see some time with the first team. And the previous year had been tough for him, actually. Uh, he was sidelined for a lot of the season with injuries. Um, but, you know, his quality was obvious to everyone, including Ronaldinho, who had told the other players that he felt Messi would probably surpass him. And then in 2005, when Fabio Capello's Juventus met Barcelona in the Gamper Trophy, he I have a quote here. He had this to say about Messi. He said, in my entire life, I have never seen a player of such quality and personality at such a young age, particularly wearing the heavy shirt of one of the world's great clubs. So despite another injury in 2006 and seven campaign, Messi did manage 36 appearances, 17 goals and four assists. Three of those goals were in this match. Yeah. And so like the good about Frank Reichardt is that he believed in Messi, right? I mean, he believed him and he gave him the time because a lot of managers could have waited a little bit, you know, waited till he was 20, 21, something like this. But obviously Messi's talent is is pure. So he's, you know, he put him in the matches and he didn't, you know, put too much pressure on him either. So I think that was really important. I think, you know, obviously Reichardt is very important in Messi's uh, first years because, like I said, like he was injured a lot. Maybe some managers would have ditched him. You know what I'm saying? Like when a player gets injured that often, you kind of have to outweigh how many times he's going to be available to how often he's injured. And those first three years, he was injured quite often. You know, they were trying to figure out his hamstring problems and, you know, what other things he had with his legs, you know, and they finally figured it out. And obviously he hasn't been injured from that as often. So again, Reichardt gets a lot of credit for developing Messi in those early years to, to really have his side and have him confidence. And again, everyone, like you said, Fabio Capello's quote there. I mean, everyone saw it. Like, it's just like one of those things you just know, like this guy is 
is brilliant. He is like one of the greatest players we've ever seen. Yeah, but he hadn't fully established that understanding, you know, in the larger sense at this time, which is something we're going to pick up later in the talk. But right now, let's just like, apart from Messi's goals, what was this game like? Well, for our listeners who are not familiar with this match, I have to tell you that the reason we're talking about it is really only because of Messi's hat trick. For the team, it was not the best result, but not the worst. Uh, you know, the crowd in the Camp Nou was boisterous as usual, but in the fourth minute, early on, they were silenced, literally silenced by a goal from Van Nisselrooy for Madrid. And then Van Nisselrooy scored another on a penalty kick eight minutes later, and Ramos got a goal in the 73rd minute. And Messi's goals were the only three of the game for Barcelona, so it left it at a 3-3 draw. Aside from Messi's goals, the game wasn't much for the highlight reels, honestly. Exactly. It was a lot of, you know, there was a lot of back and forth, but again, it was just really bad La Liga refereeing again, you know, even back in 2007. Um, you know, just a lot of back and forth. But, you know, I, when I watch this match, A, I forget about how good Van Nistelrooy was at that time. He was super clinical like in that first goal the way he finished it around man that's just pure class and I forgot you know what when I was re-watching this match I was like man I forgot how good Van Nistelrooy was and he was really good and they had you know the Galacticos at that time they weren't super Galacticos but they had a really formidable team um and yeah like you said it wasn't like the greatest match and the only reason we're really talking about it is because of Messi's hat trick, and it's it's unbelievable how he how he got this hat trick. Well, yeah, talking about the game in general, still, uh, Real I thought came out pretty aggressively at first, and you know when I think of a defensive team, I think of like Mourinho's tactics, which is dropping back a lot, staying very compact, and just waiting for that countering opportunity. Whereas uh, Capello's defensive tactic was positioned a little further up the pitch, slightly more spread out. So they could try to create chances rather than just waiting for a counter. Um, but then again, by the, I don't know, 25th minute or so after Messi's second goal, they did drop back more and Barcelona were more on the attack a lot, uh, primarily through Eto and Ronaldinho in the first half. Um, though, of course, the key finishes did come from Messi. But Madrid were strong defensively and, you know, they managed to shut out Ronaldinho and Eto. And it didn't help Barca's chances that Ole Guerre, the Barcelona defender, was ejected in the you know last minutes of the first half. And then Eto was taken off to put in Silvino, a defender, to replace Ole Guerre for the rest of the game. Yeah, like you said, like, you know, Fabio's defensive tactics are totally different than Mourinho. And I think in this style of a match where Barca didn't have the possession, the complete possession of Pep's Barca... This match was always going to be a back and forth. And to me, that always kind of favors a Real Madrid team because when you have a back and forth, it's more physical, right? And I just think that Real Madrid players are just physically more dominant. You know, they're taller, they're a little bit stronger, this type of thing, you know? And when I was looking at the lineups from this match, so Barcelona started in a 3-4-3 formation and um, Madrid started in a 4-3-3. So they had Iguain Van Nistelrooy and Raul at top. And so that kind of distinguish, you know, countered the 3-4-3. Obviously, Barcelona was looking for more possession in the midfield. But again, the three poor guys in the back were under barrage for most of the game. You know, Puyol back there. Uh, man, I forgot Turam was on the team, man. I love that guy. He was so good. And <laughs> I just, you know, when we always look at these matches before, I just always forget about how many players have been through Barcelona, you know? And I'm just looking at the lineups and stuff. I'm just like, man, you had Puyol in his prime. He was the captain. We had Turam. It was kind of the the end of his career a little bit because, 
I'm trying to think. He won the World Cup 1996 or so, something like this. So he's been around for a long time. So, or not 1996. What am I thinking? Well, anyway, but Turan was such a really good player, and also Valdez had hair. Yeah, that was a highlight for me is to see Valdez <laughs> with his spiky flat top with hair on his head. Yeah, yeah, he had he had hair. Sorry, Turan won the World Cup in '98. So, so obviously he had been around for a while. He was a solid player, but again. In this type of track meet, Real Madrid is always going to be favored just because that's the way they, they pick up their players, right? They want the, the guys that are the most, the most physical, you know, taller, these type of players. So, again, um, like we said, the match itself, you know, a lot of back and forth. And, and again, Oligar getting ejected threw a huge monkey wrench into the game because anytime when there's a man down, you know the other team is just going to pounce. So let's talk about Messi's three goals individually. All right, so let's do that. All right, so the the main thing of these three goals was that every time Messi scored, it was to tie the match. And so I think that's a really important note, right? So Van Nistelrooy scores first, and then Messi scores his first goal. And that was in the 10th minute. And again, what I love about this hat trick as an overall just kind of Messi commentary is that it, it shows how brilliant he is as a player. Each goal is specific to an angle of where he's shooting. The second one is about how he's super talented and can touch the ball super well. And the third one is just about how he can carry a team to, to tie the match. But the first one, let's talk about the first one. The first one is a great um, you know, play because he gets the ball and he becomes one-on-one on the right. Because at this moment, Messi's playing right wing, strictly right wing. And so he gets the ball based on a kind of a through ball and he's on one-on-one with Casillas and he just picks that perfect left angle. It's like that, that you know, the perfect Messi shot where it's like a half pass, half shot because it's so accurate and laser that Casillas has no chance. And then also the, the, the sound that I was listening to in the match, you can just hear it hit the net and it just sounds beautiful <laughs> it's beautiful you know and, and so for me that first uh that first goal just really shows again we always talked about Messi and his angles and how he takes those perfect angles to shoot and it doesn't take much but it's enough right it's always enough he doesn't over hit the ball so much but that first one really demonstrates Messi's brilliance with the angles uh, especially when he's on the run yeah well for me I look at that goal as an example of poise and patience you know he wasn't under significant pressure but then again just imagine you're 19 years old you're playing in one of the biggest games of your team season and you're dribbling straight at one of the top goalkeepers in the world in Iker Casillas and how many guys would have taken the shot early or not gotten the angle right quite a few even some of the better guys but Messi receives it out on the left from Eto in wide open space dribbles up to Casillas and puts it away just as Casillas is going to ground kind of like uh, we were talking about this in a previous review another goal that Messi scored where he's coming up on Casillas and just breaks his spirit and so this first one, yeah, tied up the game, 1-1, to 10th minute. And then two minutes later, Van Nisselrooy scored on the penalty, committed in the first play from the kickoff to make it 2-1 Madrid. Exactly. And like you, like you mentioned, you know, many players at that level, one-on-one, the Classico, this type of thing, they could have just skied the ball or just kicked it to Casillas. But Messi was super poised, again, at 19 years old with the long hair, the Argentine, right? He just like, and the way he just like, he just looks and he just knows, right? And he just hits it and it's like a no-brainer. It's just, you know, another match. But again, it I don't know if it was the formation of the 3-4-3, um, the way they were constantly under defense. But again, they committed a lot of fouls on Madrid in this game. And especially this one was just a really bad a really bad foul. Yeah, and then it led to 
the penalty. Van Nistelrooy put it away. Really no problem. And then Madrid were up. Now, and also, you know, later in the game, Eto himself was in a very similar situation to the one that Messi was in for this first goal. And just like you said, Eto essentially shot it right at Casillas. Casillas saved it no problem. And that's Eto. Exactly, right? And that's the thing is like, you know, when you're um, in practice, um, I just remember practicing and scoring goals, how much easier it was, right? But again, when you're in the match, you're going much faster. There's more pressure. You know, your your mind plays tricks on you, you know? And I can't even imagine me 19 in the Camp Nou, in the Classico, one-on-one with Casillas, and he just did it like a vet, you know? And he just put it through. So for me, that's... It, you know, again, that goal just shows how calm under pressure he is and how clinical he can be, like a surgeon. Yeah. Now, what about the second goal? So the second one, you know, it's great because Rolandino takes the ball to the corner. Basically, he gets a shot off. It ricochets to uh, off of Casillas, and it lands. And it's like a it's a bouncing ball right to Messi. And for me, that's like one of the hardest shots to hit because it's unpredictable, right? It's bouncing. You have people coming at you. And Messi just, I mean, again, like I probably would have kicked it low, like me as just like a soccer player, football player. I would have tried to, you know, kind of come around it to kick it low to have more opportunity to hit the, you know, to make it go on goal. But Messi does not do that. And the best part is his body positioning. He just like sets up his right leg, cocks his hip and just hits it. And he just hits it so like with everything, you know, it's like a, it's like a, the cleanest hit. And on top of that, he, he roofs it. Like, that's the other thing. Like it could have gone, if it was like three inches up higher, it would have hit the post. Right. But it didn't, it just roofed at the top of the net where there was absolutely no defender, right? There was a defender on the right and a defender on the left, but not in the middle top left and Messi hits it. And to me, that just shows me like in that goal, like how skilled Messi is, right? Like the way he was able to look at the ball, it's bouncing. He, and you just see him like you can just see him switch his right foot, get ready to plant and he just cocks his hip and he just hits it. And it's just like, good God, like uh, it's just unreal. So for me, that's just another thing that's showing the world of how amazingly skilled Messi is. So I love that second goal. That second goal is great. Oh, yeah. And it just it like you were saying, it kind of brings together his like you you almost imagine that he sees the world like Neo in the Matrix, but he sees like all the geometric planes and he finds the, the the right line, you know, more often than not, like so many times that we don't even think that he ever doesn't. Right. And this is exactly a moment like that where he gets the ball and the rebound and he puts he shoots it with a half volley with. Yeah, like you were saying, perfect technique, absolutely perfect physical technique, but also the vision to put it where he put it. And just smashing it into the top of the net. There were there were three defenders and a diving Casillas trying to get back at it because, you know, leading up to this, there was a play on the other side of the goal. Um, shot from Ronaldinho, really close, combining with Eto in that. And Casillas saved that. But then on the rebound, you know, Messi gets this. And just all the precision, all the technique was absolutely present in this. And, you know, he had another great chance just a couple minutes later. But uh, that particular shot went into the side netting. And what's funny is, you know, we never talk about those missed opportunities because he makes he scores so many goals and he has such quality 
and such great technique. And this this goal is a perfect example of all of that coming together. I like that analogy of the Neo thing. I think, you know, that's kind of, you know, that's how he looks at it, right? He Like the way he scores goals and stuff, like he's not always the most powerful striker, but when he needs to be, he can be. And this was like a moment like that where he had to absolutely hit it really, really hard, and he did it. And also, like, he had Casillas on the floor. He had a guy on the left and a guy on the right, and he puts it, like, perfectly, you know? And, again, that's I think that's why he's one of, he's, you know, one of the greatest players ever is because he understands the angle is more important than the power, right? Especially knowing where, like, the goalkeeper is going to be, especially in the first goal. And then the second goal, obviously, as we talked about, his skill is just out of this world. And I love watching that because I know how hard it is to hit something like to hit a volley like that perfectly. Like obviously when you're in practice, you can do it all the time because there's no pressure. But everyone on you and especially to tie the match again. So again, this was 2-2 before half, you know, before halftime, which is crazy, you know? Yeah. And now the third goal. Yeah, so the third goal is I don't I don't know how to describe it, in that Ronaldinho throws the pass basically from midfield to an area that's occupied by three people. And one of those people is Messi. And Messi kind of steals the ball from the other two strikers. Like, Ronaldinho kind of just, like, gave this pass where it was kind of like, okay, you guys deal with this for now. And Messi takes it with his right foot, and he just comes across. And remember, he's playing right wing, so he takes the pass from the middle and comes across. And all of a sudden, they weren't used to his pace. It was kind of like his pace surprised them, the defense. And he made a move. He was able to free up. And, of course... My favorite part of this goal is Ramos sliding late again, <laughs> like a fool, <Yeah>. right? <laughs> he, even though he did tie, even though he put them ahead earlier with his corner kick goal, but but again, and then Messi again, another angled shot, right on the run on the left side, and he puts it to the right corner, where and not only did he put the angle perfectly, but he hit it really hard, shot low corner shot, and especially in that moment, you know he he basically carried the team through the game because without his goals, they're losing that match. And at least with the tie, they were still in La Liga race. So I love watching that for two reasons, that goal for two reasons. Obviously Ramos looking like a fool. Cause you know how I love seeing Ramos look like a fool <laughs> and obviously Messi's. Oh, uh, I do. Yeah. And also Messi's first touch on that goal. Cause that's really what sets up everything. His first touch, the way he attacks the ball and grabs it, the first touch. I think everyone was so surprised how good his first touch was in that moment that he caught everyone. And like, it's just it's just great. And the whole Camp No goes crazy, obviously, because it's in the 90th minute. It ties the game like it's basically basically saves the point, essentially. Yeah, it was such a huge moment. And you could tell that the Camp Nou were already in love with Messi. Like every time he touched the ball, every time he was hassled by a Madrid player, every time he was fouled, the crowd was on was on top of it. They were so in his corner because um, I think he he really does signifies like everything that a Barca fan or that most Barca fans love about Barcelona in terms of their their style of play and their philosophy yeah this goal for me was just really probably the most vintage Messi goal and and it's interesting to notice the distinction between Ronaldinho and Messi right Ronaldinho a, a Brazilian he had a lot of kind of like uh, fine footwork and I guess what you'd call tricks or moves that he would do on the ball. And the the other incredible thing about Messi is that that's not really his thing. He's just incredible at controlling the ball, keeping the ball close to his feet, and his change of speed. His change of pace is like that's what he does instead of having fancy foot moves. Like I don't think I've ever seen Messi do a step over. Yeah, have you, have no, you ever yeah, seen Messi yeah, do a step yeah. over? No, I mean like he doesn't do step overs. 
he he moves his upper torso to kind of like fake you out a little bit but mostly it's his the way that he changes pace and changes direction on a dime because he really sees all all the degrees of the ball and he like knows his feet so well i mean seriously he's just you know He's totally Neo. But, <laughs> <laughs> I but think... so with the both of them on the pitch at the same time, it's an interesting comparison. You know, like so the, the pass from Ronaldinho, I was actually very impressed with that pass because it came from like he was in the middle third. He was under a lot of pressure, um, but the pass was spot on. You know, he was being marked really tight and there was this triangle of Madrid players between him and Messi. But I mean, talk about geometric precision. You know, he sent the ball straight through the middle of that triangle to make sure that he got it to where it was going. It wasn't, it was Messi. There was Eto also up there, but yeah, kind of like you said, Messi jumped in and kind of stole it. Um, and then, yeah, comes right to left around the defenders. El Guetta falls on his ass. Ramos goes sliding in, but he can't get there. And the way that Messi shot across his body and just buried it in the bottom right corner, not only a beautiful goal, but the equalizer and really the kind of equalizer that felt like a winner. And then his celebration really touched me. You know, he just, he kissed the crest on his jersey too many times to count when he was celebrating. Yeah, I think that's a great point because, you know, it just, it felt like a game winner, right? Because they were down 10 men. And when you're down 10 men and you can get a point from that, that's really huge. And the whole camp, no, like that's how it reacted, right? It was like a game winner, like almost like the PSG match. Like that's what it felt, the crowd felt like. But yeah, I mean, again, this match is, you know, this this is like the arrival the major arrival of Messi in a huge game. And like we talked about in the previous episode, Brian, like this is another moment of Messi in the Classico, right? And when people always compare Ronaldo and Messi, like I just can't think of any specific huge Ronaldo moments. I know he's, you know, he's had victories against Barcelona and all these things, but I just can't think of like a moment where I go, yep, that was the Ronaldo moment, you know? And I also know that's just because I don't want to think of it as well, but I just, you know, I'm trying to be unbiased, right? I'm trying to be unbiased here, Brian. Like, I just can't think of one great magisterial, like, moment that Ronaldo had against Barcelona in the Classico. But Messi, again, this is just another one where at 19 years old, you know what I'm saying? 19 years old, a hat trick. This guy that everyone had, you know, heard and talked and everyone was able to see him finally in the big stage and he certainly delivered. And now he, what, 500 and something goals later. I mean, this is this is ridiculous. Yeah. Do you think that it's possible to be completely unbiased if if we're talking about Ronaldo or Real Madrid? I don't think I could possibly actually be unbiased. And I'm pretty unbiased in general. I don't, and yeah, I don't think, but see, the thing is, like, I really try to analyze and see, like, the stats and try to really look at the play. And I, like, I always say, Brian, he was, he's a great scorer. He's a great scorer. Like, he's, you know, like last night in the FIFA World Club, World Club, Club, Club Championship, whatever that was last night, you know, that Real Madrid won, he had a great penalty, uh, free kick, you know? But again, like, to me, like, if he hits that free kick against a regular team, that's getting stopped. I just think, like, you know, the Gremio from Brazil, like I was the biggest Gremio fan last night. Like I was just pulling for them at the bar, you know, but, but again, like, yeah, he's, you know, he, he scores a lot of goals and that's really hard to do. That's a really hard thing to do. But again, as a football player, Messi for me is always going to outrank him. Not only like we talked about, you just said his amazing ball control. You know, I was just thinking, you said the step over, 
Are you talking about the swivel move where you just kind of like go with the legs? You know, is that what you're talking yeah. about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And remember those years when Ronaldo would do three or four or five yeah, yeah, or yeah. six yeah, or yeah. however did. many he felt obsessively compulsed yeah. to do? I mean, he still he did <laughs> and it then last. The ball would get taken from him. Exactly, but he did it last night. Oh really? Yeah, he did it last night a bunch of times. So, but Messi's control is just out of this world that he knows he can beat anybody because his control is so great, and that's the other thing. And so for me, like as a football player, like when we do these comparisons, like Messi's a way better passer. He's a way better like visionary of a play. Like that, all these things that you want to have, especially when I play football, I want to play with someone that's a going to pass me the ball and b is not going to yell at me when I make mistakes. You know, because I'm not perfect by any means. I want to be involved to playing football. But like Bernardo's the type of player, like the type of asshole, like that we know in, in American football, like these guys that think they're the greatest things ever, you know, and they do the swivel move and that's it. And so, yeah. so anyway, but I, this well, was back to this match. Yeah. yeah, yeah sorry. Finish up this match. No, not at all. I think that was a great digression, <laughs> but, but to, just to finish this off, um, what I found great about watching this game is to actually to see how little mind Messi was paid, not just by Madrid, but even by his own team. You know, obviously, people saw that he was very, very talented and so young to be that talented, but he was still a little bit on the small side. You know, he was still trying to build more muscle to shake off defenders. He was still wearing the 19 jersey. You know, Ronaldinho had 10. Madrid were not marking him as they would now or as they have since then, but also... You know, he was still working his way into the team. When Xabi or Iniesta or Marquez in the midfield were looking to make a play, they weren't looking for Messi yet. You know, of course, now they they always look for Messi. Whoever it is, they're looking for Messi. But they weren't looking for Messi then. They were looking for Ronaldinho. They were looking for Eto. And that fact, in combination with his talent, of course, I think also contributed to this hat trick because he kind of snuck up on everyone in this match. I think that's a great point because, you know, with the Xavi and Iniesta, they were young and they still weren't proven either i mean they i mean they definitely won you know some titles with right card but they were still young you know they weren't what we think of them now and again ronaldinho was the man of that team like he was the guy and so they gave him the ball as much as possible but again you could also kind of see a little bit of his deterioration a little bit where he kind of not i want to say lazy but also at the same time like it just looked like he was kind of slowing down already. You know what I'm saying? Like he was kind of slowing down. And of course, like you said, Messi wearing, the, I love when he wears that number 19. I just think it's great. You know, like not only like the age, but also just like, he just looks so young, you know, you just like want to put him in your pocket, you know, like, it's just like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, a little messy. <laughs> yeah, a little, little messy jersey. Let me just put it in my pocket real quick. Um, but yeah, again, and you know, uh, the players knew that he was going to be the next star, but he wasn't proven. And at that moment, again, like you pointed out, they were always looking for Eto or Ronaldinho. Yeah, but it, it was a great moment in Messi's career. Absolutely. You know, not necessarily at the top of the list, maybe. You know, you've got Champions League finals. You have La Liga clinchers. You have later hat tricks when he was really in the center of things might be more at the top of the list. But this is still really a special moment in, in Messi's career. Exactly. Like how many like sports stars do you know who were highly touted as much as Messi was and they finally come up to the big stage and deliver? It's very few and far between, you know, like I can't, you know, I'm trying to think of, you know, maybe even like Michael Jordan wasn't like that. Michael Jordan didn't just like come out and win, you know, 
he didn't score 60 points right away. Like it eventually developed, you know? So when you have this player that everyone is reading about, everyone knows that is super talented and it comes and delivers the goods. It's the, like the best feeling as a sports fan, because you know, eight, eight times out of 10, the opposite happens. Yeah, actually, you know, I was watching a YouTube video this past week that was, uh, that talked about, I think 10 players who at one point were all called the next Messi, who we have not heard of at all at this point. Exactly. That's a good point. I mean, just think about like whatever sport you really follow outside of Barca, let's say, uh, baseball or, you know, American football or basketball. There's so many stories of these highly talented, touted players. And then when it's time for their special moment, they can't deliver the goods. But when it does, like when Messi does in his Classico, like it's something really special. And it, as a sports fan of your team, you're just extremely happy. Like I always think back of another t- thing too is like uh, Michael Owen in the World Cup in 1998. This is a long time. I know this is the France one. But Michael Owen was 18 years old. And he scored this wonder goal against Argentina that is like one of the great goals. And to me, that's like one of the things where like he was a highly touted youngster that everyone knew. They took him on a chance on the World Cup team and he delivered. And of course, they put a lot of pressure on him to be the next, you know, Pele and everything. And that never happened. But in that moment, in that World Cup, it was an amazing moment. And so this for me is just like another thing like with Messi that whole year, like scoring goals, uh, showing that he has arrived. And now look at 500 goals later. It's just crazy. Yeah, 10 years and 500-some goals later, and he's still delivering the goods. I mean, that's that's really what makes him one of the greatest of all time, if not the greatest of all time, is just the consistency over the years, year after year, constantly giving great performances, you know? And this was just early on. Now, as we've been looking back at these uh, Classicos, I've seen games that I had not seen before because, as you know, I'm a, I'm a 2010 I'm a fan since 2010, so anything pre-2010, I'm not super hip to. But I love the Classico, and uh, it's almost always a good game to watch. And the media frenzy around it is just getting bigger and bigger. On BN Sports, you know, the countdown is in the top right corner of the screen just about all day long right now. You know, it's huge for them because it's such a big event. Yeah, I love I love how BN takes this match and hypes it up even more. I really like BN Sports. I really like the way they do their coverage. I like the way they have like um, the show. They actually are like civil and talk about soccer tactics, not like ESPN FC where it's like I, I do lately. I cannot listen to that podcast because all it is is first of all they love the EPL so much. I think it's the greatest league, and I know it's because most people listen or follow EPL more than La Liga. But at the same time, it's like who can scream the loudest and who can have the hot, hotter takes than me, Brian, hotter takes than me, you know, like, and no one can have a hotter take. <laughs> yeah, than me. Exactly. Certainly, certainly not me. So yeah. there's no competition on this podcast for hot takes. So I, I really love how BN sports does the countdown. I just think it adds the frenzy. And I know for the, for the, um, the classico, they actually send, uh, Ray Hudson and Phil to the match. So they actually do commentate live from the match, which even gives it a better, like more like almost Super Bowl feeling. So, uh, you know, we were gonna, I was going to talk about this in the preview of the match, but I just want to say that I think La Liga really dropped the ball for the Clasico this year because I can't remember Clasico being this late. Um, I was talking to some friends that most of them are not going to be able to watch it because here it's 1 o'clock local time, and everyone in Spain is traveling on that day because it's a Saturday for, you know, for Christmas holidays. And again, worldwide audience, like, you know, you're going to watch it at 4 a.m. It's just really bad. I mean, they should have played this match like four weeks ago. 
uh, you know, and have it at 8:45 here on a Saturday and really made it a marquee game. But man, it's I'm, I'm obviously I'm still going to watch watch it, but but at the same time, right. like but La Liga could have done better to do that. But anyway, I digress. I do like I like you were saying with the BN Sports. Though, I think it's really cool because it just adds to the moment and how big this game is. Yeah, and uh, we're going to talk about. Uh, more of you know next week's in the final segment of the show we're going to preview the classico for next week in the final segment of the show and we will get more into that um also i'll finally uh tell you about my plans for the classico in that segment but for now let's shift over to barca b and femini so to start off with barca b uh, they lost three to one to cadiz last week um, but Cadiz are at the top of the table. They're making a good run for promotion next year. You know, they're a very good team for the second division. And the result could have been worse. You know, Barca gave up two penalties, but Ortolas saved one of them. So it could have been four to one. Uh, the one Barcelona goal did come from Mark Cardona, who came on as a sub. And he's just returned from injury. So that was a, a great moment for him to one, return from injury, two, come on as a sub, and three, score the one goal the consolation goal and also uh, Carlos Alenia did have a couple of chances but the first was saved the other went wide of goal overall I think you know against in the second division you know the top team in the second division I think they they handled themselves well they they played a pretty good game they did get a goal they did create chances but you know going up against a team that's you know looking already having their eyes set on promotion to the first division you know you got to imagine that that's that's a tough tough match you know in the other matches that i watch the 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 highlights from i usually don't get like a super sense of oh my god the other team is far stronger far physical um you know i never get that sense in the other games like i just see and i'm like yeah i I know they're a little bit older but with this caddies team right from the get-go i was like man these guys are men you know (laughs) like compared to (laughs) compared to barca b like that was the first thing that came off the screen and especially the first goal that they scored with like the header goal i was like good god like and also the crowd and cut like caddies is definitely marching up i think going to be for promotion next year so they're they're a strong team i was looking at the stats and caddies just they worked they worked Barca B pretty good I mean Barca B unfortunately they they take a loss with this and they're back in 17th place but again they just need another victory here another tie there and they'll be okay um but again Cadiz is is a strong team this year they they look like they're gonna get promoted by the end I think I I would pick them from all the teams that we've seen so far the highlights and stuff Cadiz to me has been the most impressive just from this like just watching the highlights from yeah, so like you said, they're back in 17th place with 20 points in the 19 games. And uh, as we're recording this, the fixture still isn't quite over, but, you know, that's about where they're at. Uh, and, you know, we just hope that they can they can get a draw here, a win there to try and stay in the second division. Now, their next match is going to be on the 19th against Albacete at home in the Miniestadi. And Albacete is another team that's struggling in the table. They're currently ahead of Barca by just one point in that table. So, you know, hopefully we could get a win out of that or a draw yeah these are the games i would say these are the more important games the teams that are like one point or two points ahead of you that you can kind of uh you know leapfrog over with a victory especially if you're at home so hopefully they can get those three points and then get back into you know 
eight, uh, 16th or 15th place and have a couple teams with a little bit of a buffer. So, again, Albacete is uh, struggling as well. And we'll see what happens. And hopefully with the home field and the home crowd that they'll be able to get those three points. And Femini, uh, we're recording this actually just after their most recent match finished. They beat Rio 2-1. to one, And because it just it's so fresh, we don't have any uh, video highlights to talk about yet but we can tell you that the goals came from Patrick Guijarro and Tony Duggan for Barca and then uh, someone scored for Rio Um, I don't really care so that's good news Uh, meanwhile Atletico our main rival in the Liga Femenina beat Levante 1-0 on Saturday so the title race is still neck and neck between the two and um, the Rio match is actually that's going to do it for the year on the women's side they're going to be back after the new year to play Levante themselves actually uh, also at the same week that the first team is playing Levante. So it's a, it's a whole Barcelona Levante festival and the match is uh, it's currently set for January 7th, but the date and, and time still need to be confirmed. So apparently Liga Femenina is just as organized as La Liga Santander. Again, this makes no sense. Like just plan it, you know, like, especially now, like January 7th here is Los Reyes, right? Like that's the biggest holiday here. Not Christmas Day. It's Los Reyes. It's that sixth, seventh and eighth week. So if people want to go see the match, like they need to have a time, right? Like how are you going to draw people? If it's like, you know, it's, it reminds me of uh, La Liga and this type of match scheduling is like an amoeba. Right. It's always like changing and like changing shape and you can't like grab it. It's just like, just give me a date, you know, but uh, overall for the women, really good result to get the two to one victory. They were tied for a while. One to one. I was following on Twitter while we were recording and Tony Dugan apparently scored a nice goal as what they're saying on Twitter. Unfortunately, we can't see the the video highlights because um, with the FCB feminine, they always drag out the highlights. So we probably won't see them till like Thursday or Friday unfortunately but again the women just have to keep pace and just you know that atletico match is going to be super important for sure because whoever wins that or gets you know hopefully barcelona can win and jump uh, leapfrog atletico with the points at that moment yeah and the last time they played they drew so it would be really nice for the women to for our women to get a win in the next match against atletico exactly another draw exactly and they played in madrid so they'll be playing at home this time so hopefully they'll have a better chance of getting those three points and that's really what it's going to come down to it's just you know them two fighting each other every week you know looking across the way uh exactly atletico won earlier and then barcelona has to counter so that's just how it's going to be all year long now let's look at the top of La Liga after the end of this uh, this match day. So first off, Valencia Ibar. Ibar beat Valencia 2-1 to one with a late goal from Juan Jordan. So congratulations to Ibar. They kept Valencia at 34 points and are actually starting to flirt with qualifying for Europe. Yeah, remember we talked about last episode about how, you know, Valencia cannot slip up, right, to keep track with, with Barcelona on the points and... You know, Ibar is a tough place to play. It's a small stadium. They have their whole crowd. And it was a good game, a lot of back and forth. And then the, the last goal by Ibar was a pretty nice goal. I think it was a header. And again, you know, Valencia is now at 34 points. And our lead is starting to get a little bigger there against Valencia. Yeah, and it's starting to be a pretty pretty big lead uh, at this stage in the in the competition. But also, um, Atletico beat Alaves one nothing, so not a huge surprise there. And uh, as one team falls, another team rises. So Atletico picked up three points, so now they 
leapfrogged past Valencia. They're now at 36 points. Yeah, and, and it was a nice goal by Torres. He had a – basically it was kind of like the goal from Suarez today with Roberto. It was just a nice cross, and uh, Torres was at the end of that. But I don't feel that Atletico um, has enough depth to compete – um, especially now that they're in the Europa League. Um, we'll see how that affects them because they have to go to smaller cities. That's always the most difficult thing. We will see how they fare, though, in, after January when they have Diego Costa back pairing up with Griezmann. Maybe that'll give them a little bit of a push. But again, Atletico's the type of team that will lose like at Ibar type of match because they play so defensively and more counterattack, it's really hard for them to have these kind of 4 nothing victories. They're more the 1-0 type. And that when that type of game, they give their opponents an, a, a chance to win the game as well. So I'm always just worried with Real Madrid. That's all I'm, I'm really concerned. I know that in the points table right now, you know, Atletico's in second. The way we're playing and the way they're playing right now, I think we should be okay. Yeah, well, speaking of Real Madrid, uh, they were supposed to play Leganes in this week, but the Club World Cup required the uh, rescheduling of that match. So Real is going to have a game in hand until that match gets played. And of course, it's La Liga, so we have no idea when that might be. Yeah, sometime in 2018. And I was reading on Twitter that they were um, speculating if Barcelona should give them the guard of honor. And the Classico, what do you think about that? Because people are saying because they won the FIFA Club World Cup. I'm like, really? No, that's not really, that's not even, that's probably like the least important trophy of all the trophies you can win in this year. I mean, I know it's important, but it's really just a FIFA spectacle. What do you think? Do you think they should do the Guard of Honor? I Well, I don't think that's part of the tradition, right? The tradition is more about La Liga, isn't it? Yeah, usually you give them for league championships. You know, that's usually when you do it. Yeah, so in that case, no. Exactly, I would say no, too. On the other hand, if I if they did, then I think that would still give us, you know, the moral high ground and being able to say, oh, look how, you know, humble Barcelona is in giving Real Madrid the uh, the honor guard as they come onto the field. I mean, let's ask, let's do the reverse. Would they do it for us if we were in that situation? I don't think they would, so... Oh, no, and and they absolutely wouldn't, and that's that's exactly what makes Barcelona better than Real Madrid, if they were to do it. Yeah, I, I just don't see them doing it, so... Yeah, and I don't think they need to, I don't think they yeah. should. We agree. We agree. Equals. All right, so going on with La Liga recap. Sevilla drew at Levante. Did you see this match? No, I didn't see this match. This is the one match I didn't see highlights on. It looks like Sevilla, when they drew Levante, they had a scoreless match there, so I didn't bother looking at the at the highlights there i'm only interested in the goals you know i like watching goals so right if it's a zero you're like most americans yeah, yeah, yeah. if it's zero zero it really doesn't matter to me right right now finally of course barcelona beat deportivo four to nothing it was it was a good game it was beautiful so in the final standings the top five are barcelona with 42 atletico with 36 six points behind valencia 34 real madrid with 31 points but with that game in hand and sevilla at 29. Yeah, I mean, we're sitting pretty at the top, you know, and especially how we do this upcoming weekend, the Classico. We'll, you know, we'll go into the wintertime having a nice cushion and really a great start for Val Green and the troops. Yeah, they're having one of the better starts to a season in a long time, uh, and the the points are showing that. So, speaking of that, let's get into it. Let's talk about the Deportivo match. This was on Sunday at the Camp Nou. Like we just said, it was 4 nothing. Two goals for Suarez, two goals for Pauly, and good game overall. So first off, the lineup. 
your dream, Gabriel. It came true when Paco was starting for the first time in a while and starting at the same time as Suarez. And then, nightmare, Paco gets Correct. injured. Correct. Paco got injured, unfortunately. And it looks like the first news out of Barcelona is he's going to be out three weeks. Uh, so we'll see. Yeah. Uh, so... Again, he'll be back uh, when you know went back in time for January, but he's going to miss the Clasico, which is a really um, you know unfortunate because I think he would have been a great person to have on the bench to come in if we needed some more attacking in that game. So he started off really well too. He he had some really good combinations, but overall, I was really happy with the with the lineup in that it was a little bit strange. Like you know, we 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 note here that Iniesta started on the right, and when I first saw that, I was like. What, what what's what's happening here? What's what's going on here? <laughs> um, excuse me. Yeah, but he's so good that he just made it seem flawless, right? Like he just he didn't seem like he was lost at all. Instead of like turning left, he just turned right. And like people noted on Twitter, yeah. you know, when you're that good, you can just seamlessly go into other positions. And I also know because the the system, you know, he's been playing this, you know, his whole career essentially. So. He, you know, just it's just a minor adjustment, but he just looked flawless. Yeah, he absolutely did. In fact, I almost felt like he looked even stronger in some ways. And that could be just because the defenders are uh, preparing to encounter him on his normal left side. And it's like they didn't know how to deal with him and how he was operating on the right, maybe. And I also think because Sergio Roberto was playing right back that they have a really good connection, too. So I think that also helped out. A bunch of times when Roberto came up, he started. So I know you were happy with that. Yep. He started. And again, he's you know he's the hybrid set, uh, right back slash midfielder. And so with Iniesta, he had a really nice combination there. So I was really happy with the overall lineup. It was a little bit different. Um, again, Busquets took the night off because of the yellow card situation. We didn't want to lose him for the Classico. But I was really impressed with Rakitic today. I think Rakitic had had one of his best games of the season. Because, you know, he played in the Busquets role. And he, just like I was listening to the Spanish feed here in, in Spain, and they were just raving about Rakitic's performance, how he, you know, was playing the pivot. Um, there was really no uh, scoring opportunities for Depor. And Rakitic, you know, he's he just made the pass to the attacking third, and he just linked that play up brilliantly. So I think... Rakitic had a really great game today. Yeah, he did a really good job. And of course, Polly was over on the left most of the time. So as far as like our theory that starting Polly is meant to, you know, help out Vermaelen with central defensive duties, that it, it, it wasn't really helping him too much in that respect. But he looked good out on the left. He was playing in a slightly different role than what we assumed his role is. Exactly. And, and yeah, Pauly had a good game, especially, you know, he had two goals and, you know, my mother would be really happy with his effort, you know, because he just hustles, right? Like his goals are just because he follows the play all the way to the end and he sticks out his big foot and it just goes in, you know, it's, if other players don't make that run, you know, the defense just gobbles that up. And so Pauly, my mom would probably give him probably seven hustles out of 10 today. Wow. That's a seven on the Blanca hustle meter. Correct. Nice. Now, the uh, the Suarez offside counter, which is now a, th- a thing that I'm doing um, most of the matches. You did have to remind me this game. You, you mentioned something about it while the game was going on, and I realized that I wasn't paying a whole lot of attention to all of Suarez's offsides. And actually, there weren't many. He, uh, he was called offside in the 26th minute. It was righteous, as my dad would say. He was not called in the 51st minute because he actually he wasn't offside strictly speaking according to the law he was in the offside position and he knew it so he just didn't engage in the play and so he wasn't called but he was there and it really broke down the play those are the two that i really took notice of 
Yeah, I mean, he, he definitely had a better performance tonight as regards to the offsides. But again, I just always, you know, laugh when he always is, turns around to the ref and he's like, who, me? And he's like, clearly offsides, you know? That's, that's <laughs> the one, those are the things I always laugh at, you know? It's like, yeah, you. But well, yeah, that's he, his whole thing. Is he, never, he will never admit to any wrongdoing. For better or for worse, right? Like, he just... I just always find his reactions just infuriating sometimes because it's like, yeah, it's you, man. It's, you know, like we said before, yeah, dog, it's you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's <exactly>. you. <laughs> but overall, in reality, a, a very good match for Suarez, both in terms of goals, but also in terms of um, offside situation. Definitely. You know, two goals and two offsides. I'll take that all day. Yeah, so speaking of Suarez, let's talk about the first goal. This was in the 27th minute, which was actually a very exciting minute. There were two great chances in close succession, both saved by Ruben. There were two corner kicks, and the second one led to the Suarez goal with the assist from Messi. You know, And Messi could have put it away himself, but he laid it off for Suarez. And of course, Iniesta was at the heart of that with a perfect pass. Perfect. Yeah, it was, it was, you know, it started with Iniesta with the pass. The pass was perfect. It, you know, it was the perfect height where it cleared everyone, but it wasn't too high or too low where, you know, it found Messi perfectly and Messi gave Suarez a really nice Christmas present, as they said on the, on the, on the Spanish radio I was listening on. They're just like, Messi just gave him the perfect gift, you know, pre-Christmas. <laughs> because seriously, you, like you said there, Messi could have just hammered it home, but, you know... Messi's just the best team player ever, and he just goes, here you go, bro, and he just laid it off, and, and Suarez just had a hammer at home. So it was a very easy goal for Suarez, and those are the type of goals that you like to see because that gives him confidence, and he repeats those performances. You know, He starts to get confidence, gets goals, and that just helps us immensely with the, with the attacking that we have going forward. Yeah, you know, and I think Messi is aware, a lot of people are aware of the goal scoring troubles that Suarez has been having. So, I mean, I think as a, as a captain, Messi was aware of how it could help Suarez to, you know, let him put that one away. Definitely. But it was, you know, as we, as we mentioned before, it all started with Iniesta. Iniesta had, you know, one of the best, you know, throwback games I remember from a long time. Um, but his passing today and his movement today. And I think, you know, also when I was thinking about this, I think also not having the game midweek, they just look so much fresher. You know, Iniesta looked fresher. They just looked faster. They looked, you know, they looked like they were really after it today. You know, sometimes when they play a midweek game and they have a Sunday night game, it kind of takes them maybe about 30 minutes to get into the flow of the game, you know. But you can kind of see from, I remember after like minute seven, they were really going after it and trying to get a goal. And they were really up for it. Yeah, and one final uh, thing about that pass from Iniesta, it was, it was like he took the high road, but not too high. It was just right. <laughs> he did. Not too high and yeah. not too low, right? It was high, it was, but not too high. It was just yeah, yeah, yeah. right. It was the Goldilocks height. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. That's why, that's why Iniesta's Don Iniesta, man. He can do no wrong. That's right. Now, the next goal came from Pauly, and this was actually the beginning of Messi's woodwork woes in this match. He, he hit the woodwork twice, and then on this second time, Pauly was actually there to poach the second goal. And it just it turns out Pauly is Barcelona's third highest goal scorer right now. Yeah, and he's also leading La Liga as midfield goal scorer too. So, which is crazy. Yeah. I mean, think about that. Six months ago, we were clamoring for him to leave. Well, I was <laughs> yeah. right. We're like, I was like. So anti-Poly, and look, I think he has, what, six goals now? And they're all pretty much, you know, he's been consistently scoring games. 
And look, I mean, these, this is the type of game that, unfortunately, we'd had the Paco injury, but this is the type of game you get healthy. You know, you just get back to your basics. You get back to scoring. You get some confidence right before the Classico. And again, Messi had the hat trick with the woodwork today. He hit the wood, I think, three or four times. And But again, Pauly with his hustle, like he was in the right spot. And that's all due to the fact that he followed the play all the way to the touchline. If he doesn't do that, then he doesn't get that easy goal. Yeah, and the team doesn't get the goal is the most important thing. So I really appreciate that he follows the play all the way to the end. Exactly. And, and again, you know, once, you know, once we get that first goal now, the other team starts chasing us, and then that just opens up, right? And the way our defense has been playing this year, it's, it's crazy that we have another clean sheet again. I mean, that's really, for me, another important aspect. Once we get that first goal, it really opens up, and it just goes in our favor because we can just counter, and we have Messi to counter, and it's just so dangerous. Messi up the middle against the defense, like they just start quaking in their boots, you know? <laughs> yeah, and you can see it. You can see it happening. Now, in the uh, 45th minute, just at the end of the first half, there was another incredible chance for Suarez on the play from Messi, but it uh, it didn't work out. But then at the beginning of the second half, within two minutes, Suarez gets his second goal. And this was really like, this is the play to talk about. If there's any one play to talk about in in great depth from this match, it was this play because of the fabulous cross from Sergi Blue Eyes, which Ray Hudson described as absolute brilliance on amphetamines. And uh, our, <laughs> our listener, Zach Attack, on Instagram uh, recommended a, a full discussion just on that pass. And I, I fully agree. Let's do that. Okay, let's do that. But before we get into that, just really quick, uh-huh. just really quick. I know, I'm sorry. Just really quick. On the Suarez chance at the 45th minute, he did a great job of reacting and hitting the ball. And it was a goal because... From the replay, it was a goal. And again, it just goes back to having technology because that should have been a goal. But again, Suarez had a game today where he was on, right? Like he didn't give up too many passes. And with this goal, that would have been two right there in the half. Now, let's go to this play. For me, for me, this play starts completely with Iniesta. When I was watching this on the... So we have here in Spain, Movistar, which is the... It's kind of like our um, uh, our sports channel, basically. And... This is called the Partidazo. And so we have these three guys that commentate. When Iniesta got out of trouble between the two guys and started the pass, all three of them groaned. <laughs> like, they were just like, they were just like, oh, oh, no. Like, they're just like, because everyone, and I did too. Like, I, everyone just like, I think watching the game just was like, what just happened? He gets through, right? He makes the pass and getting out of trouble right there just starts at the counter, right? Like, it starts at the counter. But Iniesta, goddamn, dude, like... <laughs> The way he, I mean, Brian, I don't know if you know, but it's it's like what he does in these moments like this is super, super difficult, you know, super difficult. And not only that, but to have the balls to do it. That's the other thing. Like I was always taught to make the right play, right? To make the right pass. When you get out of trouble, either clear it or find an open person, but not try to dance through two people in that moment in your half, you know? And he just does it with such smooth and class. Like, he's like Fred Astaire. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yes. Fred Astaire with a ball. You know? He's just, like, so smooth. Like, it doesn't, he doesn't even look like he's making any effort, you know? And so, yeah, he gets the ball out, and then it just starts this this flank attack, and your boy Blue Eyes with, wow, that was just, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I knew as soon as he saw the pass, I said, I know who's happy with that one. Yeah. <laughs> but, the way, but the way he passed the ball... Like, I loved when I played left back to make that run, to make that pass, where you 
hit it early with a curve where the keeper is indecisive. That's the other key because the keeper could have come out, but he didn't. And Suarez was there ready to pounce. And of course he didn't miss. So overall from coast to coast, that play was just amazing. I, w- I would love to see just the Iniesta shake and bake all day long. Cause that's, that is just amazing. Oh yeah, absolutely. And it's, it starts to play so beautifully and, and it is incredible. I know it's, it's incredibly hard and it takes some serious cojones to do it, to even attempt it. But Iniesta, like he'll just do it like uh, just like nothing. It's just a Sunday stroll for him. Well, I mean, I'm maybe not quite like that, but he at least is willing to do it, and and it works. He's also willing for it to fail, and I think that's the key. He doesn't he doesn't mind if it fails. He'll do it, and then sometimes it'll it'll work. Yeah, good point. And again, I just think also like because they didn't have a midweek match. He, Iniesta looked really fresh, and he was the first sub off too, which is great. You know, he got in. The game was already in hand when it was two nothing. Take Iniesta off, rest him, put him in the ice bath, and get ready for the Clasico. Yeah. Now that the cross from Sergi, though, I I looked at it. I mean, I saw it on the replay. I saw it in real time and the replay, and then I I've, I've watched it a couple of times since, and it's just to me it boggles my mind, like how it clears the defender who's going in to get it and how it curves in towards Suarez. I mean, just the, like the geometry of it is, and the physics of it, uh, keep boggling my mind personally. Well, I mean, it, you know, it's one of those things like now, well, I would say like in the last, you know, 10 to 15 years, that is a pass that a left or right back should have in their arsenal, you know, coming from that flank, hitting the ball early also putting the curve on it with enough pace just to put it in the center, just to create havoc, you know? And, you know, I wish, um, for example, the squirrel, you know, Alba, I wish he would have that more because his speed is so good. He always does the cutback pass, but he really doesn't do much of those type of passes that Sergio Roberto did. And I don't know if it's because of Sergio Roberto's midfield experience that he's confident with that type of passing. You know what I'm saying? I think he just kind of... He knew that Suarez was going to be in that area, and he just threw it up there, you know? But it was such a great pass. I mean, it's the pace of it, the curve. Because the goalkeeper was so indecisive, that's why Suarez had such an easy goal, because the goalie was indecisive. He wasn't sure if he should come out or not. He didn't. It just, I mean, it, it met Suarez's feet like a Velcro, you know what I'm saying? Like, it just it was like a runway to his foot. That's what made it seem so magical, is just, like, the, the, the weight on it was so spot on to get right to Suarez's foot. It was like it was on a line. Exactly. It just, like, you know, like a positive-negative magnet, you know? It just, like, <laughs> met his it just met his foot, and, and Suarez is like, oh, look what I found. It's a goal right here. <laughs> <laughs> now, going back to Suarez, so he's on two goals at this point. I was really hoping for a, uh, a hat trick for him in this match it didn't didn't happen that way but that's okay now overall i would say that in this match he's looking not only sharper but his touch his first touch was a little bit better in this match and a little bit more consistently good um you know a lot of times his his first touch has really been failing him lately not that he's known to to have a great first touch but it seems like maybe he's been working on it because in this match there were certain moments like the next play I want to talk about was in the 69th minute. He had a really great touch to beat his man and then get into the box, and then he was fouled in the box for a penalty. And Messi's penalty shot was saved, 
So there was a lot of frustration for Messi in this match, a lot of hitting the woodwork. His penalty was saved. But in this moment, I felt like Suarez really had a nice touch on that play. And there were other moments where I felt like his first touch was great. And and then, of course, others where I felt like, oh, okay, yeah, that's Suarez with his with his, his ham foot. <laughs> his ham foot. I love that. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I think it's a combination of two things. I think, you know, before, I think Suarez was trying to play make too much before so that he was touching the ball a lot of times, right? And so he had his back to goal and he was really touching the ball where his first touch was failing. I think, for example, in this match, he wasn't asked to play make. He didn't have his his back to goal so much. He was trying, they were feeding him runs, you know? And I think when you limit, you know, his his touches per game, then I think that, you know, he has a great touch and he's able to do a better move just by lowering his touches. You know what I'm saying? I think when, you know, in the previous games when we asked him or when he was trying to play make more, I think that's when his first touch is more noticeable. But like maybe today, I like I didn't really notice his heavy touch today, right? Because I think, you know, they were throwing the ball more in the center, especially like the Sergio Roberto type of pass. Like he was just more creating havoc that way. And I think with that, it limits his... Do you call it his hand foot or his ham foot? Ham foot, like John Ham. Ah. His, his ham foot. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's kind of a callback to when uh, I referred to Deuce's touch as being as delicate as a canned ham. Yes, but now yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. it's a ham foot. It's just a thing. Now. I like it. I like it. It's I a, like it's it. It's a part of uh, one's body. Is one's ham foot? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. So maybe we just limit uh, Suarez's ham foot, you know. And so, but again, you know, like he had a great game today. Like it's great to see him get a little bit of confidence because if we have him firing up, you know, fired up for the Clasico, that just helps us for that match for sure. Yeah. All right, so now who's your man of the match? Uh, for me, my man of the match, other than Messi, was Rakitic. Uh, I think Rakitic, you know, when we first saw the lineup, I, I kind of had a hunch that Busquets wasn't going to play. And I think Rakitic looked really comfortable in that position because I think he wasn't asked to run as much, you know, for on defense and on offense. Plus, he was just asked to link up play with the attacking and he was able to see, um, you know, he, how many times did he make the right tackle? You know, he just looked really comfortable playing in that center role. So I think having him in front of Vermeulen and PK is a nice luxury. So now we know if Busquets ever gets injured, needs a break or something, we can slide Rakitic right into that to that Busquets role. And I think for me, I think it was one of his best games in the last two months. I mean, um, he didn't make too many mistakes. He had a really high passing accuracy. And I think just having him in front you know, just focusing on defense uh, is a better option than, for example, like they could have played Mascherano tonight, but they didn't. They used Rakitic and Rakitic looked really, really smooth out there. Yeah. And actually, I'm going to pick up on this in the preview of the Classico for next week. But how like I haven't been too impressed with Rakitic's performance lately. Um, but that's particularly when he's playing in the on one of the sides. Usually he's over on the right side. And uh, I was I'm going to talk about how I uh would like to see Sergio Roberto in that role uh, sometimes, uh, at least when Semedo is playing it right back. But in any case, I think you're absolutely right. Today, putting him in that role, he looked like, you know, he's not Busquets, but I think he fulfilled his duties admirably. Exactly. And we and again, it's another clean sheet. I mean, how many is that this season? We have like five, six, something like this. This is incredible because, again, when we get into the Champions League um, you know, against Chelsea, and then we have the tougher matches in the Copa del Rey and this. If we can rely on our defense, then that's going to give us 
higher percentages of wins, you know, because you know that Messi just needs a moment of brilliance here and there to to make an, an amazing play or goal. And if our defense can shut out the other team, then that's just going to help us going forward. So, so for me, Rakitic leading the defense and Vermeulen having another good game, no mistakes, looked solid and didn't get hurt. So for me, it's it's it all started with Rakitic. Yeah, and overall in all competitions with uh, both Ter Stegen and Sillison, just overall 16 clean sheets this year so far. Yeah, that's that's really impressive. I mean, you knew like I, I'm pretty sure Val Green sees it too, right? Like he doesn't need to put. He doesn't need to focus so much on the attack. If he just focuses more on the tactics about just positioning better defense, that just gives our team just more solid, you know, solid play. And we're going to have better results. And that's what we're doing right now. 42 points in the table. That's that's pretty awesome. So that was my man of the match other than Messi. Brian, who was yours? I think I I have a clue, but let's just... Let the listeners know. Right. Of course it was Sergi Blue Eyes. I love you know how much I love Sergi Blue Eyes. He's my he's my man crush. He's my hero of the moment. And uh just for that cross alone. But of course, you know, he had a great game otherwise. Doing that move that we've talked about where he cuts inside, the way that he can really attack as a fullback he's not shy about it uh, he wants to get forward and again he is i really believe becoming better defensively as a fullback he has improved his the defensive aspect of his fullback game which is you know pretty important when you're playing fullback but overall he had a really great game and he was involved in a lot of good plays and and he had that cross what can you say right that cross was everything right and of course no, but i'm biased I, I, i'm biased cuz i just have a thing for him yeah, and I, you know, like we said, we talked about that move he does where he cuts it back and goes and he drives up the middle. And when he, he, I think he did it about two or three times in this match where he drove up the middle. And when he drives up the middle, the defense has to react to him, right? Because they know he's not going to pass, right? So now they jump the lanes, and now all of a sudden that springs our attack. Now Paulino starts running down the lane. Now Messi goes down because they they are completely confident that Sergio Roberto can either beat the defender that's going to be in front of him, or he's going to make the right through ball pass. And that happened a couple times where he just did that move, and it's like you just have this feeling like, oh God, here comes Sergi. It almost reminds me in basketball like when you run the, the fast break. You know what I'm saying? Like He just starts driving up the middle, and the defense doesn't know how to react because all of a sudden the other guys are starting to run down the other way right so the defense is trying to stop the ball but if he beats one or two guys then all of a sudden he's we have numbers and he did it a couple times so i i think it's a good selection he had a great match for me and he was solid on defense didn't make too many mistakes and again he just possesses the ball and makes great passing on that right especially in that connection with iniesta earlier in the match today yeah and i think i was reading over the week uh that uh, his contract negotiations are I think I don't think he's signed his extension yet, but uh, it's the talks are happening, and uh, I think I saw something in the news that uh, he received an award, a fair play award from the club, and Bartomeu said publicly to him, "Like you need to retire here. You need to. We want you to be here for the rest of your career." So with that award, did he get a free pizza? I mean, that sounds like one of those like player participation awards, you know, where they just like, here's your little medal and a free pizza. <laughs> he did get a small trophy and an awkward photo with Bartomeo and another oh, guy whose name I can't remember. Dude, I love the Bartomeo awkward pictures. I would love to make like a collage of that because he is 
the weirdest dude to give hugs because he's like trying to be like the cool owner type, you know, trying to give these hugs, you know. And the players are like, dude, uh, just shake my hand, you know. You don't. <laughs> yeah, well, it was so. Sergi was in the center holding his trophy, and this trophy, it's not large. It's about the size of a Grammy award, or maybe just a touch smaller. And if you know the Grammys, like they're not big, um, but they're elegant and. So it's Sergi in the middle, and then Bartomeo on one side, and this other guy who was um, involved in the voting process for this award on his other side, and all three of them. So the two guys to Sergi's side are also holding the trophy with him. So there's six oh, hands on this small trophy, and Sergi's just there in the middle with his with his innocent little baby face grin. Oh my god! All these hands I love all it. over him. You, you got to send me the photo. I got to see the the awkwardness flowing out of that picture, you know? It is, I mean, it uh, yeah. is a rare vintage of awkwardness, really. Do you think, is it more awkward than the Bartomeo Messi hug? I mean, it's on When they par, resign? But since it's a different pose, it's kind of hard to compare. But yeah, no, it's definitely on par with that. Yeah, I want to definitely check this out after we record because <laughs> I love seeing awkward photos and awkward situations like that. I just think it's so funny when people don't know how to, like, high-five each other or give good hugs you know i just think it's so weird like uh, uh what am i gonna do with my hand uh. <laughs> <laughs> yes well so to just to tie this up another great result a good game strong performance all around loved seeing iniesta loved seeing sergio roberto felt a little uh, bummed out uh, at at messi's woodwork woes and missing the pen well not missing the penalty but having the penalty saved but overall you know we're six points clear top of the table still unbeaten it doesn't get any better than this right yeah i mean we're looking really good and this was one of the most um you know i would say the most entertaining games we've had in, in a while you know i think a lot of the games have been kind of like these defensive struggles you know we haven't been on you know we haven't scored as many goals but i think this match was not only entertaining but we looked really good and we looked strong we looked fresh and so yeah really happy with the performance and by the way you know who was at this match today who? Uh, Alex Morgan, the American. Oh, I love Alex Morgan. Yeah, she was at the game because I saw on Twitter like someone retweeted that she was there. So maybe she went to the feminine game to earlier today. I would hope so. I would expect that maybe. at least. Man, they should try to recruit her. That would be amazing oh, to have would, her on that team. That would be it, right? <laughs> that would be it for you as far as the women's side goes. Right? I mean, that would be Tony Duke and her and, and Martins like as a trio. Good God. That would be wicked. That would be really but yeah, I would love that. Yeah, so overall, though, really happy with the result. And Val Green just keeps pushing the right buttons. I mean, what can you say? Now, finally, again, we're, our, we're gearing up for that Classico, and that is coming next week. Finally, on the 23rd of December, at what for me will be four in the morning, one o'clock local time in Spain, at the Bernabeu. All right, so we've highlighted some talking points about this Clásico that's coming up. So my first talking point for us to talk about is going to be my idea that this is going to be the most important game so far. And obviously with the Christmas break coming, I think it's even more important you know, if we if we lose this match and we go two and a half weeks without playing, I think that's really going to hurt us. But if we win or tie, I think that's really going to help us to get more momentum for the second half of the season. What say you, Brian? I hadn't thought about it, but you raise a really good point, especially with that break coming up. You know, you don't want to you don't want to be coming up on a break. You don't want to be, you know, dormant for two and a half weeks 
having just lost to your biggest rivals in history, right? They're not actually the biggest rivals in the league at the moment, but it's still Real Madrid, right? They, Real Madrid could be in last place and it wouldn't... Well, I suppose if they were in last place, it would mean they suck and then the rivalry is dead. But you know what I mean. Like Real Madrid could be having one bad season and they could be in danger of relegation. And this would still be just as important. Exactly. And, you know, the thing that we're talking about, like we talked about earlier with the scheduling, is that we don't want to have, I guess, also what's the outcome of this game, right? So if we win or tie, great. We go into the second half flying high with those points. If we lose, and depending on how we lose, I think that could really affect the second half of the season. Now, if we lose, let's say, 2-1 to one or one nothing, something like this, then okay, I can take that, you know, because it's at the Bernabeu, it's going to be a tough match. But if we lose something like 4 nothing, let's say if we get walloped, whew, that's going to be really, really difficult to come back. That's a... That's a that's why I say it's, I think it's the most important game so far. Unfortunately, I just wish it was earlier, like I said, in, in November or uh, maybe last week or something like this, where we can have a couple games to buffer in uh, going into the Christmas break. And the next talking point here we have is the starting 11. So the starting 11 that Val Green's going to use. Now, my dream starting 11 would be something like this. It would be um, obviously... Ter Stegen in goal, Semedo, uh, PK, Vermeulen, and um, the squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> now, one of our listeners uh, has a similar thought here. Uh, this is Luis, uh, otherwise known as Cello FCB10 on Twitter. He sent us this message just today. He says, let me ask you guys this. With next week being El Clasico, we will typically see two teams with a lot of space in the midfield and two teams that are used to playing each other. We know how Madrid will play, and they know how we play. With that said, Ronaldo, in my opinion, is a huge threat even more next week because it seems like we have a weak right side. Is Semedo ready for this type of game, or are we playing Sergi? Although Sergi is a great player, can he stop CR7 on a 1-1? He typically goes 1-1 with you, takes a step to the right, and shoots. Or can we stop him on a breakaway? To me, other than our offense with everyone being injured, is where I see problems. If we don't get it right, I can see CR7 having a, a couple of goals. Thanks for the question, Louise. I don't agree with this. I don't think CR7 is that dangerous. I mean, obviously he's always dangerous, but I think we should have it covered, especially if Semedo starts with his speed. Okay, so you, so yeah, you think Semedo would is good to go for this? Yes, I think he's good to go, and I think he's defensively better for us. Because that's what it really comes down to, right? Val Green's going to choose defense and the results over the style. And I think Semedo will get the start just because how physical he is, how fast he is. Because now, imagine Ronaldo's on the left going against Semedo. Who's winning that race? Semedo is. I think is at now. this point, Semedo would Semedo, win that race. Exactly. So if you have Semedo to cover Ronaldo, that negates his speed. Now he can't do anything game over no just kidding <laughs> yeah although you know i've been noticing lately i think that sergi roberto is actually rather fast but you know how there are some players who are fast and they look fast and then there are other players who are fast and they don't seem to look fast but they actually are like 
like Ryan Giggs was like that, um, at least when he was young. Like he would coast down the field and he would just glide so effortlessly that it didn't look like he was moving super fast or working really hard, but he was quick. And I think Sergio Roberto has a little bit of that to him also, whereas Samedo, like his speed is evident, but also like the effort he's putting into his speed is evident. That's a good point. I like that comparison of Ryan Giggs. That's a, I could see that because, you know, uh, if we look at the Classico last year where, where Sergio Roberto went coast to coast, peanut butter toast, right? He, glide, <laughs> he glided through the defense, you know, and he doesn't look like he's working that hard either. And, and the other players are trying to catch him, but they can't catch him. So maybe there's something to it. You know who was also like that? I don't know if you remember there was a football player, Eric Dickerson. And they would always complain that he would look like he wasn't sprinting, but he just was so relaxed. No one could catch him. And so they were just like, well, obviously he's got to be fast if no one can catch him. He just looks so effortless. Like Giggs, like I remember Giggs would do that all the time. He would always go through. So that's a really good comparison. So I would, so my defense for that, for the classical, the, the starting defense would be Sabino, PK, Vermalen, and the squirrel. What about you? Well, I agree with you. That's exactly the back four that I would choose. Although, I still feel like something about Val Green, he doesn't want to give Semedo the big chances just yet. I think he just trusts Sergio Roberto more. So although I agree with you, and that's the back four I would like to see, I think we're going to see Sergio Roberto on, in right back. Okay, so I could see that. So now here comes the next one. Do, we, do you think Val Green is going to a 4-3-3 or a 4-2-3-1 type of setup? Oh, ooh, good, well, or or even or even a four I mean, four two. <laughs> What's that? Or even a four four two. I, you know, I with the way things have been going, I would not be surprised if he went with four four two. I with Paulinho and Busquets in the central midfield, Rakitic out on the right, and on the left, I'm not sure he might start Iniesta, but you know we've. I've noticed that Iniesta, you know, he's, of course, got all the quality in the world, but he just doesn't have quite as much speed anymore. Yeah, I mean, I could see I could see him doing the 4-4-2, especially with Vermeulen back there. I think if we had Umtiti, I think he would be more maybe a 4-2-3-1 or a 4-3-3. But I think, I think we will see Paulinho, Busquets, Rakitic, Iniesta, and then obviously Messi Suarez up top. I don't like that lineup because I think it limits Suarez. I think Suarez is going to get offsides like 60,000 times in this match. But if we if Val Green just wants to get the one point, this is the way to go most likely. Yeah. Now, actually speaking again about the offsides because I was thinking uh, repeatedly over the past week about the comment that Charlie Barça made to us about Suarez's offside and how we've complained about it and how it's actually a tactic it's not a mistake he's trying to be on the shoulder of the defense and it reminded me of Olympic downhill skiing you know how the really great all the great you know top Olympic downhill skiers right they're right on the edge of their ski and sometimes they just they fall on their ass right and if you can if you cannot fall on your ass then you can win gold, right? But you have to take that risk. You have to be right on the edge of your skis. You have to be putting all kinds of pressure as you're coming around the the flags and what have you, the gates, I think they call them. You have to take that risk in order to win gold. And you might fail. You might fall on your ass and lose entirely. But you have to be on that edge if you want to get the gold. So to come back to like what Charlie Barso was saying about Suarez and the offside situation last week, I think if he is... More onside overall, it would be good, but he does really have to be on that edge, and that means that sometimes he's going to be off, 
offside. I can see that. I like that. that that's another look at you. Two for two with analogies in this segment with the Ryan Giggs one and the skis. Look at you, Brian. Man, I am solid. <laughs> I like that because you know you're pushing the edge, right? Like I again, I get that, but at the same time, like like I always mention in my experience playing football all my life, like once I realized how important to stay onside is, onside, right? Like I, that became a priority for me to always try to stay onside. And I know sometimes, like some someone may hold the pass up or this something like this. I get that. There's, but there's so many times that that Suarez can avoid that. And so he, again, he's super important in this match because he matches up super well against Ramos and Varane in the middle. Like he's such a bully up there. He can match physically with them and he's not scared of them. And that's huge. And so we need him to be onside and hopefully score a goal here. If he gives us that presence, then we should have a good result in this match for sure. Yeah. Now to step it back also again to the midfield and the back four, the one of the reasons that I would also like to see Semedo in right back is so that Sergi Roberto could play in Rakitic's spot. I haven't been very heartened by Rakitic's performances lately. I know he's a great player. I, I wish the best for him. I want great things from him. I'm not trying to, you know, talk shit about him. But I think that if we can get Semedo in right back, then Sergio Roberto could be in the right midfield and he could really start to make things happen. He could really, really shine. Yeah, I like that too, you know, because not only I think he's a better possessor of the ball than Rakitic, but also he takes more chances with his passing to actually try to get to Suarez and so forth. And I also think the way he cuts in the middle, he's so much more dangerous than Rakitic. I mean, we've talked about how last week he cut in from the, you know, how he always cuts in with his right foot back to the middle. That's such a quality move. And on midfield, he's not a defensive liability because he's not the last line. And if you have Semedo back there, he covers Ronaldo perfectly, right? Because then, you, you know, before when we had Danny Alves, Danny Alves was fast, but he wasn't the fastest player. He was obviously skilled in other things. But against Ronaldo, that was always your concern, that Ronaldo was faster than Danny Alves on that side. So he had an advantage. And now with Semedo being the fastest player on our team and probably one of the faster players in La Liga, we can negate Ronaldo's speed and all of a sudden take him out of the game, essentially. And he'll just get frustrated and won't do anything. Yeah, especially because, you know, ball on doors aside, Ronaldo is getting older and Semedo is very young. Exactly. And plus, like, I don't think Semedo would be so... Um, intimidated either because you know they're fellow countrymen they know each other a little bit I think that you know personally I would like to do 4-4-2 like we talked about put Sergio Roberto instead of Rakitic and Semedo right back Paco Luis I think that would be a very formidable um, lineup against Real Madrid and especially would just give us you know a lot of scoring opportunities you know most of the possession and we'll be really strong on defense which I think is what we were looking for yeah, and you never know what will happen with a Classico. You know, you might see a formation or a lineup that you've never seen before because every Classico kind of gets a special treatment. Exactly, good point. And we, who knows if just Val Green is like, okay, we're going to a 4-3-3. Then all of a sudden it's like, oh, gosh, you know, then who do we have there? So, again, like you said, I'm comfortable with Val Green's tactics. I think we can't argue with the results, and I think he's carried us this far without losing a match. So, we just have to trust him, and hopefully the players will deliver uh, whoever is in the lineup. Yes. Now, here's the, the real question about this match. Why is La Liga such a nightmare with their scheduling and their marketing? I mean, it's such a nightmare. They're so, like, 
I don't even know what the word is. It's just like they're like 15 years behind everything. You know what I'm saying? Like inept, inept. Yeah. So yeah, that's a good one. You know, (laughs) like they should just for La Liga, they should just have a bunch of time slots. You know, that are set every weekend. Okay, so like have two matches at 6:30, two matches at 8:30. You know, like have slotted time so everyone knows there's going to be a match at this time, right? Because let's say, Brian, let's say you lived in the UK and you want to come to a match here. It could be on a Saturday. It could be on a Sunday. It could be at 4 p.m. It could be at like there's never anything that's set in stone and there's never planning involved, you know? Again, with this Classico, like I talked about earlier, it's just like how is it on December 23rd, like one of the busiest days of the year where everyone is going to be moving around, traveling. You won't have the same set of eyes as you would like November 26th or something like this, right? And on top of it, it's at one o'clock. For here, that's super early. It loses kind of the mystique of the prize fight. You know, like at the prize fight, like when Tyson was like really good, the matches are always at night because it just has a more, I don't know, like a more um, important feeling, you know? Uh, I just think it looked soccer or football under the lights is just much cooler than during the daytime. And so you lose that importance feeling. And also, like you're going to talk about, you know, the game's going to be four o'clock West Coast time. Like, that's ridiculous. Like, you lose so many viewers. Like, how is this even possible? I think for me, the time is the most nightmarish thing of this. But then the second thing is the date. Like, they've never played this late in the first half of the season. And I think it's a really bad move because, like, everyone, there's not going to be as – obviously, there's going to be interest, but – they're never going to have as many eyes as they would like three weeks ago, for example. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, it was originally scheduled for December 20th, and they had to move it because of Real Madrid's participation in the Club World Cup. But then again, they knew that was happening. They knew the Club World Cup was going to happen. Why did they even allow this possibility to even be there in the first place? You have to take special care with, with, these, with this particular match. You just have to. Exactly. This is the moneymaker. This is the moneymaker for the league. This is where the league gets the most exposure for this, you know, for these 90 minutes. They get the most exposure they'll get worldwide. They need to always marquee it. You know, when the schedule comes out, be like highlighting this, you know, is the Classico. It's set for Saturday night, 845. It should always be on a Saturday night. Always. 845. So you get the most people watching the match. Like that's just, again, it's inept. Complete inept. Absolutely. But so here's what's going to happen for me with the Classico. As I mentioned at the top of the show, I'm going to be in San Francisco, and that's going to be at 4 a.m. on the West Coast. Luckily, San Francisco has a wonderful Pena. You know, when I lived in San Francisco for 10 years, and during that time was when I became a Barcelona fan, and I and I became acquainted with the San Francisco Pena. Normally, they meet to watch games at this place called the South Beach Cafe. It's a really nice spot. It's out of the way, cozy. People who work there are great. You know, you can usually, you know, games will be in the morning, even the late 845 matches in Spain. That's like still like lunchtime on the West Coast. You know, you can go in, you can have a nice bite to eat, a lovely Mediterranean salad. You can have coffee, or if you want, you can have a nice anchored steam beer, whatever. But... For a Classico, they usually arrange something at a bigger venue because, of course, you know, more people come out for that. But this time, nothing is going to be open. So the viewing is going to be in the rec room at a private apartment building because, again, the SF Pena is awesome. And I've been talking to the president of the Pena, uh, Matt Manson, and not only will I be there in the middle of the night, but I will be 
broadcasting on Facebook Live, either before or after the match, and maybe both. But I want to talk to Matt about the SF Pena, so have him also as a special guest on the show, and I probably will. We haven't confirmed that yet, but either way, I will be there in this rec room, and I will be recording in the dark hours. Uh, But don't worry, if you miss it, if you miss the uh, live video, we will have the audio of that on the next episode of the podcast after the Classico, which won't be until, again, later in the week. That's our programming note. We haven't quite set a date yet, but we're not going to come out on Christmas morning, so you don't get to open that present Christmas morning. But you, do, but later on in the week, you can hear you can hear all of this after the fact. That's really cool of the San Francisco Pena to let you into their room to watch <laughs> the game. That'll be really cool. Um, I wish I could be there because, like I, I would love to be in with other uh, Kool-Aids, especially in San Francisco in the Bay Area, where you know you and I are kind of from. So that'll be definitely fun. I'm going to check it out on Facebook Live. So hopefully, we can see some of your goal reactions when they score some some wonder goals against uh, Real Madrid. I think that'll be pretty cool. Oh, you think I should just, because I was just going to do it before and after and then sign off during the match, but you think I should just have the Facebook Live on throughout the entire match so you can see my reactions? Yeah, or like video record it somehow, you know, like have someone bring like a video recorder and just put it in the corner so you can <laughs> just kind of see like, you know, if they, whatever happens in the match and just kind of put like a, we can cut it down to like a five minute just like highlight of, this, the San Francisco Pena Classico uh, watching experience type of thing. Oh, okay. That would be cool. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that and see if we can make that happen. Yeah, I think it's really cool because, you know, uh, you're going to be with some other Kool-Aids. Um, and I think that's, you know, watching the match, especially with uh, people you don't even know, but you have the common, um, the common, you know, thread basically that is FC Barcelona. I think it's going to just be in a great atmosphere and it'll be uh, a lot of fun, especially at four in the morning. Yeah, and it is a—I mean, it's not exactly a public event per se, but it, it's kind of in the middle, right? So if you're uh, if you're part of the SF Pena, if you're you know, like associated with them, there's already about thirty people who say they're gonna be there. So you know, you can check that, check out the SF Pena on Facebook and uh, the event. And uh, if you want to come, you can come out. And if my Barca father from another mother, Gus, wants to come up from San Jose at four in the morning, he's more than welcome. Yeah, I was talking to him about it because I think I talked to him on Thursday or so. And I was like, yeah, you know, I was you should go to San Francisco for the Classico and so forth. And he said, unfortunately, he won't be able to make it mainly because um, they are traveling to San Luis Obispo on the 20th. So see, again, everyone's traveling. Yeah, exactly. So just a traveling. shitty day. <laughs> exactly. You know, like again, imagine, imagine how much. Okay, let's say if it was still on the twenty third, but imagine if the time was at eight forty five here local time. Then all of a sudden, yeah, it's it's just it becomes a bigger event. More people can participate. I mean, you really have to be a diehard fan to watch at four in the morning. I mean, obviously, I would have, but a lot of casual fans have a life. You know, <laughs> it's like yeah, and it's just like <laughs> La Liga. Do you want people? to follow your league or what they seriously need to hire like one of the second in commands of the epl marketing team and bring them over i think if that happened la liga could be better than epl because you know you have two of the biggest teams in the world plus you always have the best players on that team you know so the marketing is already made you know the marketing is magic it's magic baby (laughs) it's the message Barca Talk is written by Gabriel Quiroga and myself, Brian Henderson. The show was edited by Brian Henderson. 
The music is also by Brian Henderson. Gabriel Quiroga is our promotion and social media manager, which means, that's right, folks, this is a two-man show. Be a part of it. Give us your comments, questions, topics you'd like us to discuss. Visit us at barsatalk.net to find your preferred method of contact, and if you want to support the show, click on the support button in the show notes for this episode. Remember to subscribe, rate, review, and spread the word about Barsa Talk. Until next week, I'm Brian Henderson. I'm Gabriel Quiroga. And this is Barsa Talk. Thanks for listening. Visca Barsa. Visca Barsa. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.